You're listening to Two Girls, One Crossword. Good evening, everyone. Good evening. Welcome. I'm Grace. And I'm Chelsea. We're the Good Evening Girls. And you are listening to your favorite weekly pod word crosscast. Nice. Called Two Girls, One Crossword. That was beautiful. Thank you. Um, all right. I wrote it in my notes. This is how I, I That's remember. That's your secret. That's my secret. I'm doing it from the top of my noggin. I do. Um, do you do like an outline? I outline every day or every week how I want to do my intro. No. I do intro <laughs> ourselves, corrections corners, hits and shits, topic. <laughs> I do not do that. Oh, this is the difference. Votes. Oh, yeah. nice. Um, well, speaking of last week, do we have any corrections? I was not corrected on anything. Me neither. So, so I stand uncorrected. There we go. That's nice for but once. <laughs> we did put a um, poll on our Twitter to ask everyone's favorite droid from mm-hmm. Star Wars, and if you, w- we got nine whole votes. <laughs> <gasps> Thank you. And uh, there were four answers. At thirty-four percent, we had BB-8. Nice. And then the second place tied for R2D2, C3PO, and K2SO. So cool. My favorite was C3PO. That's why I voted I for. I put C3PO as well. I feel like some people might not like him because he's kind of annoying, but I feel like he's pretty funny. Yeah. But that's just me. Or did I vote for R2-D2? R2-D2. Oh, I can't even remember. I wish you, it could. T- it tells you, but it doesn't. Well. Sorry to. That's Her name is Kaylee. Oh, do you know her? Yes. Okay. She loves all her children equally, but did she vote? I don't know. I don't know. Kaylee, did you vote? Sometimes there's one child you like more than the others. Just be it's, honest. It is. It, it's true. Kind of like if you have three dogs, like, there's one that you will always gravitate towards. Yeah. That's why I only have one cat. True. That's why I only have one I don't want them dog. to get, like, a complex, but he's my favorite, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, all right. What's next? Hits and shites, oh, yeah. baby. Uh, sorry. It's heights and shites. Heights and shites. Excuse me. <laughs> so you have it written down. Um, do you have any? <laughs> okay. I have one. Only because I was doing my research and my outline yesterday when I was home sick, ill, um, and so I didn't do too much looking into the past week. Um, and I also didn't have any a lot of pictures. I can't. I don't know why. Maybe I was just whatever. She's got a brain fog from her. Sickness. Yes, I'm like so foggy. But one of the ones I wanted to bring up was not a crossword. I, I don't want to say <laughs> that this is a shit, and I don't want to say it's a hit necessarily. It's a sh- it's just a fact that, that kind of falls halfway between hit and a ship. So we gave Not a Crossword a shout out last week on the episode, and they um, tweeted about our logo, about how it is not a crossword. technically not a crossword. And I feel like there are probably listeners here who are wondering what is or isn't a crossword. Like, what what is... What are the qualities <laughs> of that make a crossword, and what are the qualities that tell you that, oh, that's absolutely not a crossword? And I was like, if I was feeling better, I would do this research because, I mean, I feel like Grace and I can look at something and be like, that's not actually what a crossword is. But I wanted to put it out there to our listeners. If there's anybody out there that wants to either write to us or, like, do, like, a one-minute, like, quick segment on what is a crossword, like, what makes a crossword, just write to us. Let us know. I think that'd be funny to kind of, like, put in at the top of the episode. Yeah. Please do that. What think, makes a crossword tick? I feel like, well, first of all, our logo, the background, it's like zoomed in on a crossword. So it's not supposed to be an entire complete crossword. But there is a part where it's like a couple blocks where it's just two blocks next to each other. And you really wouldn't find that in a crossword. Yes. Yeah. You wouldn't have like three two-letter words. Yeah. I mean, I guess you maybe could in a perfect world. Um, the world's not perfect, okay? Wake I up. know that. You think I don't know that? Oh my God. I have to tell you this every goddamn day. All right. 
Um, All right. So can you hit hit us with the rest of the hits and shits for the week? Sure. Well, okay. Last Friday, the New York Times, I guess I should say what day it was. It was January 17th. Um, the Puzzle by Ryan Patrick Smith on Friday. I actually liked it. Fridays can be kind of hard for us because we're not that good at them. But um, I felt like it was pretty easy. And I think that's because it had a lot of like modern, more modern pop culture references. Like they talked about the misadventures of the awkward black girl, um, actress who directed Booksmart. Oh, yes. And they also had a Taco Bell slogan, (laughs) which was Liv Moss. Yeah. We actually had a pretty easy time with this one, which is like the puzzle previous, the Thursday, I think we didn't even finish it because we were just like, huh? Huh? But. Then you do the Friday, and you're like, wow, I can do this. And you're kind of like, okay, I'm not 100% as dumb as I thought I was. Yeah. It's always a nice reminder. (laughs) Um, But I was thinking about Taco Bell when I (laughs) saw this. And I just – is this a fever dream, or am I remembering this correctly? At one point in time, Taco Bell, before they were Liv Moss, it was Yo Quiero Taco Bell was, like, their uh, slogan. And it was a chihuahua that would say it. And at one time, they gave away, like, stuffed chihuahuas at their Taco Bell locations. And there was, like, a Hawaiian one, like, a – I don't know, like a doctor one. And they all had like the voice and you could like squeeze them. And they said, because I'm pretty sure I collected those or this was all a dream. Does that ring a bell to you? To anyone listening? We never, ever ate Taco Bell as a kid. Like the first time I had Taco Bell was in college. Wow. I know. I was like low-key obsessed with Taco Bell. I had one of my like most worn t-shirts and all my photos of me from a kid is like a picture of a chihuahua's face. I'm pretty sure it's like a Taco Bell. Yeah, no, I I don't know. So you're asking the wrong person, but if maybe someone out there liked Taco Bell when they were younger. It's not that I didn't like Taco Bell. It's just that my mom really, really hated Taco Bell and never took us there. We were definitely more of like a Burger King. Well, Taco Bell just opened by my house and... um, In Chicago? Yeah. Actually, there's two Taco Bells by me now. Nice. We haven't won the rest, too, which is nice. That's the one that's open until like four in the morning and you're like (laughs) getting off the train drunk. You're like, let's get some Taco Bell. I know. It's dangerous. Danger, danger. Anyway, let us know out there. Um, And then I also like the Friday, January 17th, Erica Gard puzzle on The New Yorker. Yes, 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 yes. Um, There are a couple good ones here. Uh, 51 Across, It Might Be Part of a Transition, Top Surgery. Yes. Um. And then he had – this is one that I feel – I don't remember if – or I think we had trouble getting and I looked it up, but I didn't – I almost did my topic on it, but I didn't. 46 Across, holiday that falls on January 25th in 2020. It's Tet. Oh, yeah. And it's the Vietnamese New Year. Right. Um, and then his 49 down clue was, quote, my 14-hour search for the end of blank Friday's Endless Appetizers by Katie Weaver. And the answer is TGI Fridays. But I like that he – um, made that the clue because then I read the article. It's on Gawker, mm-hmm. and it's about this girl who – it's like when Fridays first put out their unlimited appetizer, uh, whatever it is, like deal. deal. She went to Fridays when it opened and at like 11 and stayed there till 1 in the morning. But the thing is you can only order – you get unlimited of like whichever one you initially order. So she ordered mozzarella sticks, and she stayed in the Fridays for like 14 hours just or seeing how many mozzarella sticks they would let her order. But she said they were terrible, so like she didn't even – like eating them, um, but the article is really funny. She does like a like every five minutes. She like writes a little entry about. Oh my god, where that's she so is. funny! So you can actually get unlimited appetizers. They will not stop you they until won't. the you know place closes. Yeah, I've really loved the Erica Gard New Yorker 
I yeah, think I tweeted fine. about it. It was one of those we had gone like days doing the crossword and we were kind of like in a fog and we're still like coming back into it after our break. And I'm like, none of these are fun. We're not having a good time doing these, like whatever. And then you get the, the Friday New York Times and the Friday New Yorker and they're both really good. And you're like, oh, yes. OK. Cool. Yeah. This is why I like crosswords. And then they were all ruined by yesterday's crossword. And yesterday, what's, I used to have dates on here, but I don't anymore. Um, yesterday was January 22nd, and it was in the New York Times by Alex Eaton Solners. This, okay. this person, nobody knows who this person is. You know that, right? I wonder if it's a fake. That's thing. what, yeah, I know. Well, first of all, I the theme was dumb. Basically, he just circled the letter C seven times. Seven different, and then the theme was result of connecting the circled letters in a certain way in a punny manner of speaking. And it was First seven all, C's. What a clue. That's like a bad yeah. clue. Well, also, you don't a have certain to connect. way in a manner of speaking. You like don't have to connect them in any certain way. No, I thought I it was know. like a connect the dots type situation, but it's not at all. And then in a punny manner, I mean, I guess seven C's for the letter C? Like, is that a pun? I don't think I don't it know. Is. It was pretty dumb. Um, it, that's like <laughs> such... You could... If you just have the, like, seven C's as an answer in the crossword, you could probably just circle seven. Like, you have, of course, seven C's elsewhere in the grid. Right. Like, that's not an interesting theme. You could right. just make that after the fact. Be like, yeah. oh, just circle some yeah. C's and they'll get it. On a Thursday or Wednesday. Yeah. I, was, I swore yesterday it was Thursday all day. <laughs> um, also, four across was biblical shepherd. And the answer was able. Or, sorry, 14 across. Abel is, like, in the crossword all the time, so I figured it was him. But it's like, oh, everyone in the Bible is a shepherd. Literally everyone in <laughs> the Bible. There are not many yeah. jobs to have <laughs> back then. Yeah. I know. The cluing was poorly done. It was poorly done. Uh, and, of course, we just – we absolutely loved 39 Down. <laughs> terrific time in slang. An absolute gas of a time doing this crossword. Grace and I were actually doing the crossword at separate places, and I was doing it on my app, and she was doing it, like – in the newspaper, we were just taking pictures of it and sending it back and forth to each other so we could, like, update where we were filling in. That was fun. Um, also, I found out but yesterday... gas is not, mo- like, <laughs> at least, like, old slang. That doesn't count as, like... <laughs> no, no, that's not, that's not slang. Slang is, like, Current. what's happening now. That's, like, oh, I don't even know. What would you call that? Like, old... Old-timey... Li- <laughs> yeah, saying? Who the hell friggin' knows? If they said old slang, I'd be like, fine. But gas also could have way funnier clues for it. I know. Um, yeah, that's pretty dumb. I did learn yesterday, though, um, that I have no idea how to spell Caribbean. It took me ages to fill in 17 across yeah. with the correct spelling. It's Caribbean. Yeah, well... Oh, nice. Now you know. Now I know. Well, that comes from someone who lives, like, basically, like, next <laughs> to the Caribbean growing up their entire life. So just because you live next somewhere doesn't mean you spell it all the time. I rarely spell Wisconsin. <laughs> That's true. Um, I did, like, well, this is, like, this one was weird in here, 15 across, love fest literally. It was an orgy. Right. I was, I was like, like, I was huh? like, there's no way it's an orgy. There's no way. And then it was orgy, and I was like. I feel like we've seen that clue before. Um, but it just, <laughs> like, with how... Like the rest of the puzzles yeah. are strange. Anyway, anyways, that was my hits and chits. That's all I got. Also, if you want good slang, you should do our favorite current slang word. Instead of good, you can say Gucci. Yeah, like that's Gucci. Gucci or swag. Yeah, swag is kind of older. I know, but I still say it a lot. Well, you heard it here first. All right, flip the coin. All right, let's oh. see. Oh, sorry. sorry to any headphone users. 
Well, Matt, Matt actually does a thing with the editing where he can like lower the levels to a certain point and bring the levels up to a certain point. So we're fine. All right, flipping. Let's see what happens. Were you pr- practice flipping earlier? It's. it's <laughs> Did you practice? I wasn't practice flipping because it was on tails. Well, when you open it up, it flips. Oh, okay. Um, so that's me again. <laughs> Back on my bullshit. I hope Conspiracy people like theory. me enough because I go first every time. Okay, so my topic is from the Monday New York Times by Evan Kalish. I hope I pronounced that right. I went back to our messages with them and I read how to pronounce his last name. Yeah. Kalish, I believe. Okay, anyway. So, Monday New York Times, January 20th, 14 across savory food quality. The answer is umami. Umami. Ooh, umami. Anyway. Umami burger, anyone? Oh, actually, that was an answer. I played... My parents and I and, like, sister and stuff on Christmas played Trivial Pursuit for – it was, like, Millennials versus Boomer. Mm -hmm. And if you're out there, if you have, like, kids who are Millennials and you're a Boomer or whatever, it's a fun family game to play together. And Umami was the answer in one of the trivia questions. Nice. Did the Boomers No, the Boomers did not get it. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Well, that's because – and I'm going to – we're going to learn a little bit about this, but Umami was not considered the sixth taste or the fifth taste or whatever it was. Um, for a long time. It's only recently. Anyway, so what is umami for those boomers out there that don't know? <laughs> it is also known as like the savory taste. So it's one of the five basic tastes along with sweetness, sourness, bitterness, and saltiness. Umami has is mostly characterized as um, being the taste of broths and meat. So like meatiness or like kind of um, savoriness. So first of all, how does taste work? Like, how do we have these five basic tastes? So we have taste receptors that kind of facilitate the, quote, sensation of taste. Um, So when food or other substances enter the mouth, the food molecules interact with our saliva and are bound to these taste receptors in the oral cavity and other locations. Mm, Other locations. Yeah. (laughs) So molecules, these food molecules, which give the sensation of taste, are considered sapid, which is a word we've seen in crosswords before. Um, There are uh, more qualities that kind of dictate how we taste things, or at least how they kind of contribute to the perception of taste. And those things are visual. So how does the food look? can sometimes dictate how we taste them. Like if something has a certain like texture look to it, I'm just like, ooh, ooh, can't. There's scent. There's scent for sure. Because you know when you're sick and you can't smell anything and nothing tastes the same. Right. And then there's actual taste. There's um, trigeminal, which is like a nerve. And that's like how you perceive hot and cold temperatures. And then there's mechanical, so how you chew something so or like how you eat it. So like a soup is different than eating like a bread, like a, a cracker, you know, because the mechanical eating process is different. Soup, you're and cracker, you're like. You don't chew your soup? I, I don't, unless there's chewable things inside of it. So one of the places taste receptors exist are in our taste buds, which are contained in like these tiny kind of structures called palais and those are like and this is from wikipedia so don't laugh okay the palais are the nipple like bumps <laughs> on our tongue yeah. why would they even say it like that i don't know but i had to include it are they that nipple like i think they are i'm looking at yeah they look like little nipples <laughs> it's only one way to find out <laughs> look in a mirror yeah um other take your shirt off and compare <laughs> 
<laughs> Other places you have taste receptors would be the palate, so that's the top of your mouth, and then the early parts of your digestive system, like your larynx and your upper esophagus. And then in 2010, yeah. Sorry, what? I'm not tasting anything with my esophagus. Actually, well, but sometimes you do, you know, when you like throw up a little bit in yeah. your mouth and you're like, Ugh. And you can kind of taste it. Yeah. Hello. Welcome. Welcome. <laughs> so in 2010, researchers found bitter taste receptors in lung tissue, actually, which is um, how we can kind of detect when, like, bitter things are, like, around. It's like if you're smelling something bitter, it's like they're saying that the receptor is in your lung tissue, your which lungs is really are like... interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, so I found a really interesting diagram of a tongue to kind of show you where you're you're kind of tasting certain things. So if you're like thinking about your tongue in your mouth, the tip of your tongue as it comes out of your mouth, that's where you taste sweetness. On the sides of your tongue, at the top, like front sides, yeah, is salt. Front backs is sour. No, front sides is salt. Back sides is sour. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and then all the way in the back is bitter. And then in the middle is umami. Umami. And so those little nipple likes pal- palais, they have different names. I didn't get into the names of what they are because it's a little too like scientific y and like whatever. But each, the palais can be like a different variety. And so to taste sweet, you need certain types of palais, and so those palais kind of like sit at the front of the tongue, and then bitter palais sit in the back, and umami sits in the middle. So like those are different types of those little nipples that sit in your tongue. <laughs> are you gonna giggle every time you say nipple? Nipple. <laughs> yes. Anyway, so that's fun. Um, so what are some other sensations you can feel in your mouth? <laughs> uh, is a question that I. Am I, I gonna have to mark this as? Not family appropriate. <laughs> no, and I upload it. So there's pugency, which is spiciness or hotness. So it's like when certain substances, like ethanol, they cause like a burning sensation, mm-hmm. um, and like that's it's burning plus taste. That's what pugency is. So, so like when you're taking a shot of vodka or hot sauce. So it's more like hot sauce. No. Oh. So then coolness. Um, some substances activate cold. Uh, trigeminal receptors, so that's like the nerve endings, um, but they are not low temperatures, and these are like the fresh or minty sensations. I was gonna say, so like peppermint, spearmint, menthol, etc. Um, so then there's numbness. There's Chinese and Batak toba cooking. That's like um, um, Indonesian and Malaysian. Um, they have this idea in cooking called materasi, which is like a tingling numbness caused by spices such as Szechuan pepper, um, and so they can kind of contain they like take peppers and chili peppers and it produces that like numbing and hot sensation which is interesting there's astringency um some foods like unripe fruits contain tannins um, or calcium oxalate that cause like that puckering sensation of the mucous membrane of the mouth so that's like other words to describe astringency is like dry rough harsh or tart so like wine red wine oh yeah or rhubarb um, metallicness, so you can kind of taste that sometimes in food or drink or when you're getting certain dental fillings. Um, and it's generally considered an off flavor, so you're like, that doesn't taste good. So then there's calcium, the distinctive taste of chalk. Yeah. Sometimes you have like a chalky taste. You're like, I'm like what tasting all of these as you're saying. I know. Then there's hardiness. So people say hardiness or kukumi is the sixth flavor, but it has not been like scientifically said. Yes. Um, it's 
called hardiness or like full flavor, and it describes food that don't have their own taste necessarily, but enhance the characteristics of other foods when combined. Some people are saying garlic, but I think garlic has its own taste. Um, fats, um, so like oils and butters and things mm-hmm. like that, like they don't really have their own taste. Like when you eat a piece of butter, it's more saltiness, you know? But when you put butter into something, it really like brings out other flavors of other yeah. food. So that's what kukumi is. And then there's temperature. So temperature is like essential to the entire taste uh, experience. So heat can accentuate some flavors and coldness can accentuate others. So like depending on what your culture is, there's certain like soup, you eat it hot. But if you were to eat that soup cold, it would have a completely different taste. Like imagine all the soups we have at lunch. Imagine eating them cold. It's just like. No, yeah, the soups are not. The soups need to be microwaved to the within to an the inch max. of their life. To the max. <laughs> They're or, canned soup that they keep at our office. Yeah. Or like sodas, you know, like you drink yeah. with ice or beer. So we drink beer really cold, but if you go to certain countries, they drink it like room temperature. But mm-hmm. it's like cultural and like kind of like how we taste different things. Like pizza, leftover pizza. Right. Some people like it cold and some like it hot, baby. Yeah. Some people like it both ways, but they have different tastes depending on how you're eating them. Yes. So more to taste. There are things called super tasters, people who can, like, who their taste is, like, significantly heightened. And that's because those palais, those nipple-like things, have, have, like, a higher concentration of them. Are they bigger? Like, no, there's just more of them. nipples? <laughs> Could you imagine, like, one massive yeah. nipple? Um, cool. But these people, these super tasters, actually have food sensitivities. Like, it's too much for them sometimes. And some of... <laughs> Sorry, I taste too much. I could just imagine some guy with a handlebar mustache saying that. I know. <laughs> Food sensitivities, I'm going to read them out to you. Onions, certain alcohols like gin, tequilas, and hoppy beers. And this is to say not – if you're like a super taster, it might not mean that you are sensitive to all of these foods. But these tend to be the most common sensitivities that super tasters have across the spectrum. I don't like hoppy beer. Maybe I'm a super taster. Maybe. Brussels sprouts, cabbage, kale, coffee, grapefruit juice, cilantro. Cilantro is a big one. People get really weird about cilantro. Uh, Green tea, watercress, mustard greens, horseradish. People get weird about horseradish. Dandelion greens, rutabaga, turnips, soy, carbonated water, which is interesting. Mushrooms and anise and licorice, which is a huge one for me. Like, no licorice family for me, Oh, yeah, you don't like licorice. No. Um, Super tasters made me think of Psalms. For those who don't know what Psalms are, it's like sommeliers, people who can, like, drink and smell and, like, kind of – talk about the deep taste of wine. Yeah, the notes. The notes, if you will. Um, So then there's aftertaste. An aftertaste can differ from the food that follows it uh, or that that precedes it. Um, And it's interesting because sometimes you eat something you really like it, but then the aftertaste is really strange. They said like medicine can sometimes have aftertaste because they use like artificial sweeteners. So you take the medicine and you taste and you're like, ugh. Then there's acquired taste. Acquired taste is like when one person can really appreciate a certain food, but like a majority of other people do not appreciate that food. And it's because of long-term exposure usually, um, which is interesting. And usually people have these acquired tastes um, because the foods that they really like include bitterness, strong or strange odors, taste or appearance. And whereas other people are like, nah. Like for me, blue cheese is a, an acquired taste I do not have because it's got or that want. that look. It looks at me. I see the fungus i can taste the 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 astringency i don't know maybe it's a bitterness the odor is insane anyway so that's aftertaste or acquired taste some people like to say they're like well i'm an acquired taste yeah it's like are you though probably taste just like everybody else anyway you don't know i taste (laughs) 
some taste disorders. I'm not going to go into detail. I'm just going to tell you that these exist. I think I have one about fruit. Maybe. There's aguasia, which is complete loss of taste. There's hyperguasia, which is reduced sense of taste. Dysguasia, so it's distortion of taste. And then hyperguasia, abnormally heightened sense of taste. Hmm. Interesting. Thank you. So back to umami. Um, So foods with strong umami flavors include broths, gravies, soups, shellfish, fish, fish sauces, tomatoes, mushrooms, meat extract, yeast extract, cheeses, and soy sauce. Umami is actually a loan word from Japanese. So tune into episode two if you want to learn more about loan words. But the word was coined in 1908 by Japanese chemist Kukune Ikeda from the word ume, which means delicious, compounding with me meaning taste so umami means like delicious taste um, so while he was sipping a bowl of dashi soup he noticed a greater intensity of savory deliciousness after the addition of kombu which is seaweed native to japan he eventually isolated monosodium glutamate which is msg which we'll talk about as the amino acid responsible for the umami taste um, so he went on to commercialize this msg and started selling it to to the Ajinomoto Company, which I'll talk about too. Basically, it's been argued for years whether umami is actually a real taste or not, but in 1985, the term umami was recognized as a scientific term to describe the taste of glutamates and nucleotides at the first umami international symposium in Hawaii. Ooh, they they barely had good food there. Yeah. (laughs) So glutamates are basically these amino acids that are present in like all things, and they have like a long history in cooking. So this umami flavor has been around forever. So fermented fish sauces, a garum, were rich in glutamate, um, and they were used widely in ancient Rome. Then there's fermented barley sauces, so murray, which is rich in glutamate, and they were used in medieval Byzantine and um, Arab cuisine. And then fermented fish sauces and soy sauces um, have been used in like Chinese cuisine since the third century. So umami may explain various classical food pairings. So Japanese make dashi, which is kombu and dried bonito flakes together. Chinese add Chinese leek and Chinese cabbage to chicken soup. And then the Scots do a similar thing in a Scottish dish called kakaliki soup. And then Italians combine Parmesan cheese on tomatoes and mushrooms. So you're making me really hungry. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. Properties of the umami taste. It has a mild but lasting aftertaste associated with the salivation and a sensation of furriness on the tongue, stimulating the throat, the roof, and the back of the mouth. So it's kind of like that heaviness like when you eat. So I was eating chicken soup yesterday, and it kind of like sticks, that coats your mouth. And Mm -hmm. you're like, when you're eating ramen too, you get that like coating in your mouth. I was thinking so much about taste yesterday after I did this research. Um, so one study showed that ratings of pleasantness of food, taste intensity, and the ideal saltiness of low-salt soups was greater when the soup contained umami, whereas low-salt soups without umami were less pleasant. Hmm. Interesting. Um, and it's also there was a study done that said using fish sauce as a source of umami could reduce the need for salt by 10 to 25% in foods like chicken broth, tomato sauce, or curry. Use fish sauce, people. Do you want to cut down on your salt? Use the fish sauce. Do you have fish sauce in your fridge? No, I have nothing. I've been eating. I stole leftover pizza from work yesterday and ate that for dinner. (laughs) True. I do have like a bag of pita chips. Nice. Um, Fish sauce is great. Keep it in your fridge. It's good. Um, Okay. So what's the deal with MSG? Are you telling me that umami is MSG? Is MSG? I thought MSG was bad for you, Chelsea. Oh, my God. You thought probably incorrectly since I didn't read lots of studies, but I did read some information. I didn't read any studies, actually. So... What is MSG? MSG is monosodium glutamate. 
Um, it's also known as sodium glutamate. It's the salt sodium of glutamic acid. So glutamates are what make umami, and monosodium glutamate is like part of the umami flavor. Um, basically, it's this MSG is what Ikeda discovered when he discovered the umami taste. Um, and MSG is used all across the food industry as a flavor enhancer with that umami taste. Um, it kind of intensifies that meaty, savory flavor of food. So MS MSG makes food taste good. Yes. <laughs> Um, MSG is commonly found in stocks of bouillon cubes, soups, ramens, gravy, stews, condiments, savory snacks, etc. Um, and after 1968, it became known for its use in Chinese restaurants. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration uh, gave MSG this rating, GRAS, which stands for Generally Recognized as Safe. Um, and the popular belief is that MSG can cause headaches and other feelings of discomfort known as, quote, the Chinese restaurant syndrome. <gasps> oh, no. It's fucked <laughs> up. Yeah, no. So, but blinded studies show that there are no such effects when MSG is combined with food in normal concentrations. And um, and there, the study was inconclusive when MSG was added to broth in larger quantities. Concentrations. People are probably just, since Chinese food is so good, they're probably just eating a lot of food. And then when you eat a lot of food, you feel like right. sleepy and, also, and out of it. And also, but like, that be, that's any food. Also, like, Chinese food has a lot of salt, like sodium, because mm -hmm. of the soy. But, like, so, like, if you eat a ton of salt and you're not drinking a shit ton of water, you're going to have headaches, you idiots. You're going to blow it up, baby. MSG like is not salt, it is umami. <laughs> It's umami. it's umami. Get one thing straight, okay? Yeah. So MSG has been tied to racial stereotypes with people specifically targeting Asian cuisine, whereas the widespread usage of MSG in Western consumer goods, for example, processed foods, and our favorite, Heinz ketchup, doesn't generate the same <laughs> stigma. So basically, like, the perpetuation of, like, MSG as being, like, it's the Chinese restaurant syndrome it's like you're being a racist so that's what people are saying and i think like that's to be said because msg is used in like different types of canned and processed foods and different types of snacks and they say they say that msg is present in ketchup which is why they think ketchup like exploded and it's so popular and why nobody can like compete with heinz ketchup because of the msg yeah but nobody's talking about that the ketchup syndrome in <laughs> so in 2020 ajin moto which is that company that Akita sold MSG to originally, um, along with other activists, launched the Redefined CRS campaign to combat the myth that MSG is harmful to people's health, which highlights both the underlying xenophobic biases against Asian cultures and the scientific evidence that the myth is false. So go on the hashtag and look it up. Yeah, if you want a cause to get behind. <laughs> <laughs> that could be one of them. So, one of many. Yeah, that's what I got for you today. Cool, interesting. Now I really want Chinese food. I know. Okay, so my clue comes What have you got from, from us, for us today? <laughs> You'll see. Uh, mine is from yesterday's New York Times. Uh, I keep saying yesterday's if people know when we record this. The January 22nd New York Times <laughs> by Alex Eaton Solners. Who the one that are I, you? Yeah, the one that I didn't like, but whatever. Um, 63 Across, Halley's Comet to William the Conqueror. Nice. And the answer was Omen. Very nice. So I'm going to be talking about Halley's Comet. Now, do you call it Halley's Comet or Halley's Comet? Halley's. I call it Halley's Comet, but in my research, Is they say Halley? that, well, there's discussion between, like, how people, how it should be called. But the person who it's named after, Halley was, like, the way that mm. his name is pronounced. I but see. I always say it as Halley's Comet, so I'm Same. just going to keep calling it Halley's Comet. But Get over it. Yeah. 
let us know. This is what they teach you in the United States school systems. If it's wrong, it's on y'all voters. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'll put a poll on Twitter <laughs> to see nine people and then can vote and then we'll decide what we're going to call it from nice. there now. Okay. So first I'm going to talk about William the Conqueror because that was what was clued. So um, I love history. Let's do this. Yeah. It's a quick, <laughs> quick history lesson like, from Grace. So the year was 1066, 1066. I don't know what they called it back then. Um, Edward, who was the king of England, died childless. <gasps> so someone had to take over the throne. An earl named Harold, who was BFS with Edward, the dead Edward, figured the throne was his, but Edward's cousin, William the Conqueror, a.k.a. the Duke of Normandy, had other plans. Oh. So on October 14th, 1066, William's Norman forces took down Harold's Saxon army, and Harold himself died in the battle, uh, which effectively made William king. This is called the Battle of Hastings, and it's often referred to as the battles that changed history because William changed when he, like, took over the throne he really changed like the way things were done mm-hmm. i.e. he gave the king more pa- more centralized power he brought over some like norman D- french customs and um, enforced a feudal system yep um, before the battle william saw haley's comment and thought it was a good omen i said maybe for him but not for harold or the saxons <laughs> who were about to get their shit rocked <laughs> It's true. Um, so, yeah. Harold's, uh, Harold's looking up at Haley. He's like, oh, shit. Well, yes, because um, there is uh, the Bayou Tapestry. I don't know if that's how that's pronounced. Um, but it was made after the invasion. And if you look at the tapestry, it shows uh, people celebrating the crowning, like the Saxon people celebrating the crowning of King Harold while a fleet of ships wait behind him, the ships being mm-hmm. William and his army and the comet can be seen in the upper right hand corner damn yeah okay so let's talk about haley's comet let's it is a short period comet which means it has less than a 200 year orbit so in space years 200 years is short Mm -hmm. um (laughs) it can be seen with the naked eye from earth obviously i guess not obviously depending on where you're listening to this from (laughs) um can be seen with the naked eye every 76 years or so and it is the only comet that can be seen with the naked eye twice in a lifetime Wow. Some facts. Uh, Haley has probably been in its current orbit for 16,000 to 200,000 years. Its projected lifetime could be as long as 10 million years. Jesus. It's still a baby, relatively. Like most comets, it's essentially a dirty snowball. So uh, comets are just like ice uh, with like dirt and stuff. So, however, Haley has a higher dirt to ice ratio than most comets. It's mostly dirt and rubble bound by gravity with pockets of ice. Okay. Usually comets have more ice. Sounds a lot like me. Yeah. A dirty (laughs) snowball. (laughs) Um, Haley's orbit is in retrograde, a.k.a. it orbits the sun in the opposite direction of the planets, or clockwise, from the North Pole, um, the sun's North Pole. And this is unusual for things in space. Okay. So, you know, it goes its own way. And it goes your own way. What is that go song? Go your own way. I'm pretty sure it's called Go Your Own Way. Every time you see Haley's Comet, you have to sing that song. Yeah, every 76 years when you see Haley's yeah. Comet. Um, okay, so Haley is a short period comet. It's believed that short period comets were originally long period comets whose orbits were altered by the gravity of the giant planets and directed into the inner solar system. Scientists think Haley's orbit originated from Oort, O O R T, cloud. What is that? It's some cloud really far away in space. I see. I think that's where it came from. I'm going to make my brother listen to this episode. Yeah. He'll be like, huh? He's like, Oort, a cloud? What? It's called Oort Cloud, according to the website that I looked at. Okay. So 
Sightings of the comet can be seen throughout history, but it was officially discovered. I hate the word discovered, though. Like, obviously, it existed for ages beforehand. Right. It was, like, named or discovered the correlation between all these comets in 1705 by a scientist named Sir Edmund Haley, or Halley, as he likes to go by. <laughs> <laughs> You're wrong! Um, he realized that the comet sightings in 1531, 1607, and 1682 all had similar orbits and other more complicated similarities that I don't understand because I'm not a scientist or astronomer. True. He correctly calculated that Halley's Comet would appear again in 1758, but he died before he could be proven right. However, when the comet showed up right on time, just as he predicted, the scientists decided to name it after him, and that's why it's called Halley's Comet. Snap, snap. Um, I feel like that happens a lot. Like, celebrities who have movies made about them die before they get to see the movie. Hmm. Um, okay. So Celebrities should only have movies made about them when they die. Yeah, I think it's kind of awkward to make. I mean, uh, what's his face? Elton John was alive to see his biopic, but is it kind of weird to make a... He wanted to rewrite the, rewrite the script of his life, I think. I could see that. I'd be like, I don't trust anyone to do this when I'm gone. Right, and so. he did a good job. I liked that movie, actually, so... Um, okay. So once scientists realized that the comet showed up about every 76 years, they tried to look back in history to piece together sightings from the past. Um, the oldest commonly accepted date for the first documented reference of Halley's Comet is 240 BC when it was sighted by Chinese astronomers. However, there is evidence to suggest that it may have been seen as far back as 467 BC by Greek astronomers. Damn. How do we know the one in 1066 with William the Conqueror was Halley's Comet and not just another comet? I was wondering that. Well, wonder no more. Um, it's all thanks to a monk named Eilmer of Malmesbury, who wrote about the comet twice in his lifetime, 77 years apart. Damn. Once in 1989. He thought it was a bad omen, and he was right. It was a bad omen for him. Soon after he saw it, his town was attacked by Danes. And then in 1066, he saw the comet again and wrote in his journal or diary that some people got their hands on. He says, <laughs> quote, you've come, have you? You've come, you source of tears to many mothers, you evil. I hate you. It is long since I saw you, but as I see you now, you're much more terrible, for I see you brandishing the downfall of my country. I hate you. OMG. <laughs> I fucking love that. This is like, sounds like my diary from middle school, <laughs> right? Like, I hate you, you stupid comet. You're not even pretty. <laughs> You just made me cry a lot. I just want Billy to like me. Um, wow. Oh, my God. I fucking <laughs> He seems so angsty in it. And this I'm was in not. 1066. People really, like, have not changed. I know. Um, so he did not like the comment, obviously. <laughs> obviously. But he was, like, the first... Um, first person to catch that it was the same comet wow. 76 years later, on record, at least. So it could have been called the Almer of Malmesbury Comet if he had played his cards right, but he didn't. <laughs> he was just too salty. Yeah. See, you get wrapped up in the drama. Yeah, you have to, like, take a step back. Look at it as a bigger picture. Like, look at it as, like, this one thing in this massive universe that we all live in. We're just specks of dust. Yeah. Um, but he didn't, so. So, whatever. Sorry. He's dead now, so. But he did confirm that it was the same one, because the one that came back later, he was like, I hate you. Ugh. You ruined my life! Ugh. I'll never call you dad! The Dean! No, no, no. Shut up. <laughs> Is it too early to joke about his town being <laughs> attacked Massacred? by Danes? Oh, my God, probably, but It was whatever. in 989. I feel like enough time has passed. <laughs> um, 
Okay. So then in 1222, the comet came again right before Genghis Khan started marching west. It's said that he considered the comet to be good luck to him, quote, his own personal star. Again, not good luck for the people of Europe who he killed. Yeah, so there's that. <laughs> um, in 1986, which was the last time it arrived, NASA was able to get pics- pictures from space. Um, they sent up, you know spaceships or satellites or whatever take pictures of it and they got really good pictures of it which they said was good because when they came in 1986 you could like barely see it because hmm. of light pollution and I don't know other Yay. stuff was going on with it um, however so that was a big step for mankind science but Halley's Comet brought bad luck once again to NASA because one of the Challenger's missions was to observe the comet and if you don't remember the Challenger was the rocket that exploded shortly after taking off Ooh. woof so the next Halley's Comet is scheduled to stop by in July 2061. We, we could be alive. Hopefully. We, we'd be alive. Are you going to make it a good or bad omen? Yeah. That's the question. <laughs> Depends on where I am. I could be as salty as the monk from Mumsbury. I hate you. I hate you. Ah. Um, I'm going to end with a interesting tidbit about Halley's Comet that I found that I read on a website called todayifoundout.com, um, an article by Emily Upton who wrote about Haley's comment. Uh, Samuel Clemens. Do you know who that is? Mm-hmm. Mark, Mark Twain. Twain. Mark Twain. Mark Twain. He was born and died with Haley's comment. He was born in 1835, two weeks after Haley's comment, um, you know, flew by, and he died in 1910, one day after the comet's peak brightness. In 1909, Mark Twain said, "I came in with Haley's comet." It's coming again next year. The Almighty has said, no doubt. Now, there are these two unaccountable freaks. They came in together. They must go out together. And he was right. He had died from a heart attack the day after Haley's Comet Damn. shone brightest on Earth. He probably uh, induced in himself. He's like, I thought I was going to die with this fucking comet. Isn't that so strange, though? It is very strange. I had never known that. That's a good uh, trivia question. That is. Like, which? For you all out there. Who, who was born and died with Haley's Comet? Nice. You can even put the years to give people some... Parameters. This is why you uh, need to write crosswords. No, I want. I should have like a trivia show. You should. Um, we should like after a hundred episodes do like a trivia. We should thing with all our the facts that we said mm-hmm. on our episodes. That'd be fun. Invite everyone. Oh my god. Have a big sleepover. Yes. Write each other's hair. Face masks. Of course. Trivia. Of course. Face masks. If you're into that, um, let us know. Yes. Cool. Great topic. I love history. I love – I feel like the, I learned about Haley's Comet through a picture book I was reading once about Amelia Earhart and her seeing Haley's Comet, like, in the early 1900s. She was like, Haley's Comet, wow, I'd love to fly one day. Yeah. I hope nothing bad ever comes to that. Right. I don't actually know if, <laughs> if what I'm remembering is true or if, like you, I'm having a fever dream. <laughs> was there a Taco Bell chihuahua in that picture yes, book? Yes, <laughs> there was, actually. He was like, hello, you can't have Taco Bell. <laughs> I don't actually even know – when Amelia Earhart was a child, so I'm assuming the early 1900s. Me neither. You know what I've seen floating around on Twitter that I have not fact-checked, so I'm sure someone will correct me if I'm wrong. They said that Martin Luther King and Frank and Barbara Walters were all born in the same year. Yes, I've seen that, like, all over the internet. Is that right? I guess I think it is. They were born in, like, the 20s, I think. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah, it makes sense. It seems so weird, though, all those parts of history. how old is Barbara Walters? She was born in 28, I think. How do you know what year Barbara Walters was born? I think I, I'm pulling 20, 1928 out of my head because I've seen the memes so much. Not even It's not even a meme. It's like a... <laughs> yeah, this is like a factoid, but everything... It kind of is presented as a meme. 
She was born in 1929. She's 90 years old. Damn. When, okay, so she was born 1929. Look up Anne Frank. Quick, let's do a live fact check. Okay. We're fact checking. Oh, my God. And I'll look up MLK. Going. Stick with us, people. Anne Frank was born in 1929. All right. I'm looking. 1929. Look at that. MLK was a Capricorn. Uh, Anne Frank was born in June. It's Gemini. Barbara Walters is December, so Sagittarius. You know her. You remembered her thing. September. September. 25th. She could be a Virgo. Or no, I think no. she's the one after. Libra? Is Libra after Virgo? No. No. Scorpio. No, 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 no. After you is Leo. Oh, right. No, Leo's before. Oh, my gosh. All our listeners are like, what the hell are they talking about? <laughs> Thanks for stopping by, folks. This is a great guys. We, no, we need to figure out what... Her, she's a Libra. Okay. okay. That makes sense, actually. <laughs> having a good time as much fun as we are so if you've learned nothing else today you know that barbara walters is a libra martin luther king is a capricorn and anne frank's a gemini well actually are you sure june i think june's gemini oh now i have to know now we have to know june 25th astrology cancer is a cancer it makes more sense than gemini honestly because all gemini's are psychotic Trump is a Gemini. Trump is a Gemini. You know, if you're a Gemini listener of ours, just un- no, just kidding. Actually, <laughs> talk to us. Yeah, we're interested. To if know. you if you're into astrology and you listen to our podcast, talk to us because we'll probably be friends. Yes. Cool. Um, all right. Well, that's, <laughs> that's that. that. Thanks everyone <laughs> for a wild ride. At the end of all our episodes, should we just pick three <laughs> random people? People and talk. We about should. Them? That could be a nice fun segment at the very. You'll be like, I always skip the end. <laughs> We go on our, and on. We look at our metrics, and it's like the last five minutes nobody listens to, like, massive drop-off. Cool. Cool. All right. Well, looking Thanks. forward to it. You've been listening to Two Girls, One Crosswords Do Astrology. <laughs> I'm Grace. And I'm Chelsea. Follow us on Twitter at The Good Eve Girls. Or Instagram at The Good Evening Girls. And we'll see you guys next week. We will. Ciao. Maybe. Bye. Bye.